Open loops. Open loops. Open loops. Open loops. Open loops. You must listen to the open loops, a theme park for absurd beliefs and systems of integration between the mind and the creative spirit. Open loops. Today on Open Loops, we have someone I'm very excited about. A, he is a filmmaker, a researcher, and an author. Uh, you, you may know him from his books, A Walk in the Shadows and Alaska's Mysterious Triangle, though uh, today we're going to focus on his most recent book, Travels Through Time. We have researcher Mike Rick Secker here, um, and also if you're familiar with that name, you you may have caught him on all the all the paranormal and and unexplained shows you can possibly imagine. I mean, Ancient Aliens, The Unexplained, uh, tons of stuff. He's on Gaia TV. He's got podcasts, uh, a docu series, The Shadow Dimension. I mean, lot of lot of fringy stuff which we love talking about here. I'm excited to delve into one of my favorite topics: time travel. Uh, Mike. Thanks so much for coming on the show. Yeah, Greg, thank you so much for having me tonight. I'm really looking forward to the conversation. Yeah, me too. I, I really have as well. I mean, as soon as I saw, uh, I, I don't even know what happened. It's, it, somehow we got connected um, through some various social media channel. And then I saw you starting to post stuff, teasing that you were working on a time travel book, teasing that you had a lot going on with it. And I said, okay, I'm going to hold on to this. And see, and wait until this guy is finished with this book <laughs> until I have him on because I want the time travel. I want, I want the inside. I want to understand it. Um, so, so, so let me let me go back for a second first, and, and let me ask you this: um, so many different topics. As did you bef- before I go into this? I, I, I guess my question is always because I wonder about people like me that are interested in these things. What got you into this? Did you have an experience? Did you were you always kind of open minded to these things? I mean, how does Mike Ricksecker become such a <laughs> such an established person in this particular field? I have to know. Yeah, it really does come down to having an experience uh, when I was a child, and this is you know where the basis of a walk in the shadows comes from, where I had a uh, an interaction with a shadow person when I was about eight years old. And I've had many since then, but that was probably the most harrowing, at least at that time, because I was so young and, you know, the thing did get physical with me. And, uh, you know, it's, you know, one of those where, you know, mom and dad were telling me that I had just had a bad dream, but I knew I was awake for the whole thing. And so over the years, you know, that stuck with me. And as I continue to see more things, I wanted to learn more about uh, this type of phenomenon. Now, 
when it comes to time travel, that's something I've also always had an interest in ever since I uh, saw the movie Somewhere in Time with Christopher Reeve and Jane Seymour. I just thought it was absolutely amazing that he was able to uh, will his consciousness back to another point in time. So, uh, you know, it's just a love story, of course, but uh, you know, just the time travel aspect fascinated me. So over the years, as I dove into my research in the supernatural, paranormal, and what have you, I started to notice that there were a, a lot of elements and types of phenomena that really we we could really chalk up to some sort of a time travel incident rather than a traditional ghost or apparition or what have you. And so that's really uh, where this latest book came out of. Yeah, it's super interesting. I mean, I, I do know that, and and I definitely want to get into the, the broader strokes of of your theory um, about the way time works and and some of the some of the phenomenon that has come from that. Um, but I, I suppose what's interesting to me is that I, when I went down the let me explore time travel uh, in in depth. Uh, course in my life um there were two schools of thought in the uh alternative belief system community i guess that the spiritual or whatever we call ourselves um and there were two ways of doing it there was one which was the actual here's a machine that if you apply the laws of physics you know this is somewhere buried in tesla's papers you can figure out a way to make this machine that'll actually go so it's like the actual physical time travel travel mechanism which i find very interesting and and i definitely have uh, had people on that have claimed they've experienced it or been involved with making machines or whatnot uh who knows what to believe there but but it's very interesting and then there's the other side which you mentioned which is that consciousness component of it um you know the amount of times people say oh time travel is possible and and then i I'm hoping they're about to tell me about a machine and they say, Oh no, no, it was a, you know, it was an out of body experience. It was an astral phenomenon. It was so, I mean, I've never now, I, I feel like those two can cross paths, but I'm curious. I mean, for you, did you, did you ever look into both aspects of it? Are they connected? I mean, how would you reconcile the mind versus machine paradigm of time travel? Yeah, and that's a tricky part, you know. Uh, you know, when it comes to building a machine, now our theoretical physicists will say, "Well, yeah, we could, but it would probably take the power of the sun, meaning you know, all that energy, to be able to uh, make this machine to be able to do this, and you know, harnessing that much energy and bringing it to Earth would probably destroy the planet, unfortunately." Right. Uh, and and yeah, and also they'll go down the route of, well, you know, if we uh, go to a black hole and we get close enough to it without crossing over the event horizon sling around it then uh, by the time we reach earth you know time will uh, be different problem with that is one we're not getting near a black hole anytime soon because they're so far away and two getting that close to a black hole would uh, pretty much destroy you. you'd go through the process of spaghettification and i mean that would essentially kill you and your craft so it's really not feasible uh, to be able to do that. So, um, you know, that said, uh, there do seem to be uh, some of these different uh, UAPs, UFOs, uh, whatever you want to call them these days, that appear to possibly be time travelers from some other point in time in Earth's history. So, 
so it is possible to be able to do this through a machine. I think a more practical application, though, uh, would actually be using the consciousness uh, to move in and out of uh, different moments in time. Oh, man. First of all, I love the word spaghettification. Um, <laughs> I, I hope you came up with that. I mean, I, I'll give this guy credit for being an author right there. Oh, I um, didn't invent that one. No, that's an actual scientific term. Oh, my gosh. What? Yeah. <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I mean, that is super, that's super interesting. I don't even, you know, it, it, all I could think of was this plot of this last Indiana Jones flick, which I hated. Oh, yeah. Um, but, oh, you but, didn't like that, huh? <laughs> <laughs> well, well, I will say, I mean, oh, gosh, I guess I did like, I, I mean, I just love the franchise in general. But, um, you know, I, I definitely, I didn't want, it, time travel is tricky when they bring into films and and it, it wasn't is. the time travel ending i would have wanted necessarily um but it did make me think i mean when, when you're talking about well let me ask you this is there any i i know that you know the uh th that wasn't a real it was a variation of a time device and and it's not actually right. archimedes that was looking into that and whatnot but in your history of looking through ancient symbolism and and alchemy and all this stuff do you believe they were people looking for fissures in time and if not what were they looking for yeah actually i, I do and i and i think they knew of as you said uh fissures in time and i think they had an understanding a better understanding than we do of how the uh, universe actually works and how uh how time is really layered and you look back into the the ancient egyptian uh burial text the what we call the egyptian book of the dead which is really the book of going forth by day but you know the book of the dead sounds a lot cooler right um yeah and uh you look specifically at the papyrus of ani now the book of the dead you know, is not like one specific book there they are a series of spells uh some burials have a couple of the spells others have more they might be written on a sarcophagus papyrus what, what have you uh the papyrus of ani is you know really the the largest and most beautiful and ornate it's amazing and uh, within that you have ani who was a royal scribe back in the day he's already dead in the narrative and he's there with his wife too too he's going through uh you know what we would call the afterlife the the duat and he uh has a conversation with with atom which was one of the well he was the God that created the universe. Uh, the Egyptians referred to them as netters, which is really more like a natural force rather than uh, what we would deem a you know personage uh, of a God. But um, as he's having this conversation with, with Atom, what's interesting is he asks, you know, what would be the span of my life? And, which is kind of fascinating because, you know, he's already dead, but he's asking what the span of his life is going to be. And Atom says it will be for millions on millions of years upon millions of years. So he's layering time in this fashion and then continues on talking about the, the earth re, uh, returning to the primordial waters. So you have this uh, idea of you know recycle and renewal, which he continues on even more. Uh, Atom does saying that he himself will turn into a serpent. Now that sounds kind of, you know, magical and uh, hmm. a little far out there to our ears but 
it's the basically he's describing the symbolism of the of the Ouroboros, the snake eating its own tail, which is a symbol of recycle and renewal in the ancient world. It's really our first alchemical symbol. And so this is, you know, not just, you know, we see it used in a lot of different ways. First, uh, you know, the renewal of you know, the king. We'll see this on like uh, the, the burial shrine of King Tut. We'll see it in some of the different uh, tombs in the Valley of the Kings. So, of course, you know, they want their kings to, to come back, to be renewed. Uh, but we also see it as a symbolism of uh, the renewal of life energy and also of the universe. So in this sense, the ancients knew that, you know, there were, there were these very, very large cycles of the universe that things die and decay, they come back and form new life. And the same thing, not only true here on Earth, but also throughout the universe. And then the layering of time that he described at the beginning there is really in part what I've incorporated into what I call stack time theory, which I'm sure you're probably going to want to uh, ask a question or two about yeah, that. Yeah, no, I definitely I definitely want to know about that. I mean, uh, that is... Okay, so uh, before you get into this theory, I mean, where do mm -hmm. the... Um, is, is that... I mean, the Egyptian thing is fantastic. Are there other factors that went into your your theorizing about this i mean I, I imagine you pulled from many different sources i know your book mentions you know referencing uh einstein and, and uh, mm -hmm. tesla and stuff like that but but i'm curious kind of the uh always curious about the formulation of when people have broad theories that that make the right. universe make sense <laughs> uh, yeah how do, how do you how do you get there yeah, you know, it's it's been a, a long journey to get there. I mean, the the idea of this really it came into my head about 20 years ago, you know, as I was, you know, contemplating some of these different experiences that that we have. And so, um, and I couldn't even tell you the exact moment, but as I was contemplating all these different things, uh, it just really occurred to me that wait a minute. You know, what if all time past, present, and future, we're all concurrent. They, everything that has happened is happening and will happen. They're all right there. And, you know, I took that, started doing some research, you know, found out different ancient cultures believe the same thing, like the, uh, uh, the Australian Aboriginal uh, religion has been teaching that for 60,000 plus years. You know? Wow, um, I didn't realize that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, they call it the uh, dream time. And that religion is one of the oldest in the world. You know, we say, well, 60,000, but, you know, that's the earliest we can find it. But it probably goes back even further because somebody had to start coming up with these ideas before they started being written down and, you know, the, uh, you know, the handing down through oral tradition and that sort of thing. Um, and then, of course, yeah, I came across Einstein where, yeah, he had these ideas as, as well in uh, his concepts of the space-time continuum and what he called the block universe where, you know, everything, the universe is one whole. All the information is there from, you know, day one until the final day. Everything is there. And so I took that a little bit further with, the with the stack time in that each of those moments again that has happened is happening and will happen just take where you're sitting right now and they're all stacked on top of each other each moment like a photograph 
And sometimes what will happen is that you know, two of those moments, because everything is you know, resonance, frequency, vibration, two of those moments will resonate at the same frequency for just a moment, and we'll get a glimpse of something, you know, another, another point in time. Some people may call an apparition, a ghost, some sort of haunting. And, and I do believe there are, you know, human spirits that are uh, still lingering about today and those sorts of things. But I think some of these occasions are actually what we would call a time slip, where we're getting a glimpse of another moment in time. And not only do we get a glimpse of that other moment, but they're getting a glimpse of us. And you, you see some of these stories and, and find some of these different accounts of somebody you know, claiming to see an apparition or a ghost, but that apparition or ghost turned and looked at them as if they were the ghost. But that's really what you would call a time slip. Yeah. Whoa. Okay. Yeah. I'm definitely gonna have to. Uh, I want to. Ma- I want to make sense of this because I'm. I'm doing the visualizing of the photographs in my head, and and I'm putting it against. Um. It, at the very least, it, trying to understand it fresh, but also trying to make sense of it in light of perhaps. Uh, I don't know. String theory. These other things that which. Also, no, I've had people on the show that are like string <laughs> theory. That is so hypothetical. That isn't even we've disproved that at this point um but i am curious i mean does this align with any of the modern uh physics understandings about i i feel like every couple years mike i hear a new trend or something in theoretical physics about the way they think time works and now now we believe in retro causation it is possible i mean how do you how do you uh align with those things or or go against them yeah, you know, it's a mix because you're right. There, there's always new information that's coming out. So how do all these pieces fit together? And yeah, I'm not a physicist, but uh, what what I essentially do with my writing and my research is I try to find the connections. How do all of these things fit together? And so, uh, you know, there was a uh, interesting study that, that came out here within the last few years from down in Antarctica where they... We're doing a study on neutrinos, and actually, uh, it was with the NIDA project and the IceQ project. The IceQ project actually, just within the last few days, released their uh, mapping of the galaxy based off of neutrinos, which is really fascinating. And the neutrinos are supposed to be coming in from space, and they uh, record those, and they find out all kinds of you know different cosmic information. However, uh, when they were doing these studies uh, a few years ago they were actually detecting neutrinos uh, operating very, very strangely, where instead of from space, they were detecting some that were coming up out of the Earth from the Earth's core, working uh, essentially backwards from from the way they're supposed to. And a paper that was released about a year and a half ago by these scientists doing this study, and this was in the Journal of Applied Physics, uh, their summation was that uh, they believe that this was indicative of a parallel universe running in reverse time. So, of course, <laughs> I had to take that and run with it, of course. Yes. Yeah. What does yeah. that so, even mean? For, what does that even mean? That's wild. I love that. Exactly. Exactly. And um, so I found that absolutely fascinating. But it's like, okay, so how does that work within you know what I've been talking about for, for years on stack time theory? Yes, I just published a book on it, but I, I've been – uh, and like my podcasts and YouTube channel, all that sort of thing. I've been talking about this for several years now. Um, so how does that fit into it? And I think it comes back to, again, that symbol of the Ouroboros that we were talking about before, 
where you look at several rep uh, different representations of, especially the uh, the one from the uh, 1400s by Theodorus Pelicanus, which was actually uh, a copy that he had made from an older alchemical tract that came from around, uh, it was about a thousand years old, came from around 400 AD. Uh, that was uh, written by uh, Synesius, who's one of the oldest uh, alchemists of, of that era, that particular era in any case. Um, but in that illustration, and there's a lot of different uh, alchemical symbolism, but you have, of course, the snake eating its own tail, but then you have the two different tracks of color, the red and the green, which you know essentially it, it's symbolizing the dualistic nature of our universe, duality. So you know you think as above, so below, the yin, the yang, all that sort of thing. But um, you know, with this symbol, remember, it's constant recycle renewal. So you think of it as a circle kind of spinning around. Well, if you have the two different tracks that are there, then you would have one running in one direction, say the red running clockwise, and then the green, say it's running counterclockwise. So there's your two different universes running in different directions. And uh, essentially that tells us that the uh, the end of one is the beginning of the other, and the beginning of the other is the, the end of the other. So, you know, we're essentially getting, you know, alpha and omega, the beginning and the end in the same spot, which is what I believe the symbolism of the snake eating its own tail is, are those two universes coming together. One's ending and the other is beginning. And that's essentially the big bang. Oh, so, okay. That, that is, I mean, wow, 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 wow. That's an amazing, uh, base of the puzzle you've put together there i i'm now i mean i imagine that then that means we must be is 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 this where aliens come in where there's or, or crossover <laughs> between one go like weird things that we see come from the end of the other and, and things that just don't make sense come from the fact that there's something going in reverse that's a that's a all bizarro version of this i mean how does or or how does that play out yeah that's that i mean that's an excellent question you know what is that universe running in reverse time and oh by the way let's not be so arrogant we could be the ones running in reverse um true true yeah so yeah we could be very well getting glimpses of this other universe uh running in reverse time that that could be depending on where they are on their timeline because we don't know exactly how long the universe is going to last so you know some of these extraterrestrial races that we're seeing could be from you know, if we're early in our universe and they're later in theirs at this point, um, we could be seeing them crossing over um, as some of these different extraterrestrials. That's uh, certainly the case. I had uh, one gentleman, Tom, who's a uh, longtime member of my uh, Connected Universe Portal learning platform. We do the Connected Universe uh, online classes, you know, ask me, and I include this at the very, very end of the book where he was asking about um, the end times with the dead rising from the grave. And uh, it just kind of occurred to me when he asked that question, you know, sometimes you could just got to go with your intuition. It's like, wait a second here. You know, the end times, dead rising from the grave. If you look at that symbolism of the snake eating its own tail, there is an overlap there where the tail is inside the mouth. And so with that overlap is you know, are the two universes at that moment basically blending into each other? And so to us, you know, it would seem like dead or rising from the grave because all of a sudden you have this overlap of the two universes like that. 
you know, so we could be talking about a lot of different things here, you know, things that are what you call an ultra terrestrial think something that's indigenous here to planet earth that we are seeing, or certainly extraterrestrials. And like I said, uh, early on in this, you know, some of these, uh, time travelers or some of these UAPs and UFOs that we're seeing could actually be time travelers, uh, here from earth, but that also doesn't necessarily mean that they're human because they could be extraterrestrial time travelers that have colonized earth long into the future and are traveling back in time and, and things like that. Yeah, yeah. You know, I'm gonna I'm gonna zoom out for a second and just point out here, and and this has certainly been. I mean, Mike, as I, uh, you know, I. Uh... I'm not sure I intended this podcast to just be delving into these kind of topics, though. Seems to be where I've landed. Um, I, I'm right. continually fascinated by how extensive the knowledge of the nature of reality was discussed in ancient cultures. I mean, this is, where did this, who came up with this psyop, this propaganda that, oh, it was a primitive understanding. Yeah, they, they didn't have the science, so they just <laughs> made up symbolism. But, I mean, you're telling me based on all these stories. I mean, sure, I know there's some extraction. I know there's some looking at the symbolism and whatnot. But it sounds to me like, and, and I know, and I'm curious, you know, you, you can definitely, I think, speak to this given your uh, studying of these ancient civilizations. Uh, for some reason, these people were tapped into a really complex understanding of the nature and time of consciousness that, uh, again, it just feels like if you actually sit down and take the time to look at what they're doing uh, or what they wrote down, it would – we're trying to understand. We're trying to catch up. Um, so I, I welcome your thoughts on that. But then again, I also, as I said that, I'm going, is that part of the cyclical nature here? Is that the very fact that we're rediscovering it, does that fit into the time stack theory as well? Um, I know those are two right. separate points. but. But uh, yeah, if you could speak to the first one about how complex these ideas are, um, I, I would love to hear your take. Absolutely. Yeah, they are complex, but they had that knowledge. And I, I think where um, you know, traditional archaeology uh, gets hung up on is when uh, people in our field that are diving into these topics uh, use the term high technology that, you know, the, the ancient colors, the ancient uh, cultures had uh, high advanced technology and you know immediately because of our uh you know current day context of what high technology is you know the mind immediately goes to what well, the, the ancients didn't have computers we've never found an ancient cell phone sitting around and you know things like that it's like well, well wait a second they had a high advanced technology but it's not necessarily the technology that we have today uh, we see just in their their architecture that they had you know, very, very advanced building skills that we do not have today. Uh, some of these blocks that they were able to pick up and move around at will. Um, you know, our largest cranes that we have in the world today cannot lift them. Um, it's absolutely amazing some of the things that they were able to do. So that was certainly a high advanced technology. So it's just different. And when uh, those civilizations met their end, you know, whether that was a, you know, global cataclysm or, or what have you, you know, the people that were, that were left and survived, you know, it's, that's basically the mentality that they ended up with. They had to survive for a time based on whatever in the world happened to them. And 
you know, you're not going to uh, keep doing the the more high tech things when you're just surviving. You just need, you know, the the basics. Just you know, take right now if our uh, if we were to meet with like uh, an EMP or you know maybe a comet hit the Earth and we were suddenly thrust back into uh, the Dark Ages, right? Well, our civilization right now is going to attempt to survive. You know, we're not going to have uh, you know the computers and the cell phones there for a time, and you know it will take several generations to try to get back up to speed, rebuild infrastructure, and that sort of thing. And the people that had the knowledge of you know, how to build a computer, how to code it, all those sorts of things, uh, eventually will you know die off. Maybe they didn't even survive because they didn't know how to you know forage for food or, or hunt or anything, and so they may have even just you know died. Uh, so uh, you know at that point, civilization will have to take a new turn and go in a different direction. That's essentially what happened with with the ancients. You know once. Uh, those people that had the sophisticated building knowledge and had the uh, the the knowledge behind how the stone circles worked and all of those sorts of things, um, you know, civilization rebuilt from basically a different seed. Interesting, interesting, yeah, uh, and and I imagine that, um, well, I, I, hmm. I mean, I really think back to this Indiana Jones movie now where where Archimedes, <laughs> we came to them as well as we discovered them coming to us. I mean, this is uh, OK. You know what? I do want to know what is is there a historical example? Are there things out there where you're going? Yeah, this this could definitely be an, a, a a story of somebody from the future having crossed over to the past. Well, yeah, any of these uh, ancient accounts. I've been on the you know, show Ancient Aliens a few a few times here. Uh, you know, a lot of those, um, a lot of the points that they make with you know, here's an example of let's just say we'll take Chaco Canyon here for instance, uh, right there by Pueblo Benito. You have the the petroglyphs there that talk about the star people, and mm. you have the spiral pattern there, which they you know the indigenous. Uh, people specifically say those are representative portals and the star people came here through the portals and uh you know gave us knowledge so you know that portal could be it could be a stargate you know they could be coming here from some other uh place in the cosmos it could be some sort of um you know time travel event where you know they traveled here from the future uh, came into that day and age and passed on some knowledge uh, to the people. So uh, we, we definitely see a lot of that in ancient symbolism. Yeah. What about when you say, and, and this is, I mean, I don't know how much you'll be able to explain around this, but uh, when you say that they the, there are certain times where these the photos if you will resonate with each other um what is in in your uh you know in your understanding what do why do certain moments resonate what is causing the resonating what why does that even happen yeah that's the the question is you know what is the catalyst you know if we knew what exactly the catalyst was then we would be making this stuff happen at will and uh but i i think that's that's the key is you know, trying to understand, you know, how do you get these different frequencies to to line up? Um, 
And I think it has a lot to do with, um, again, the consciousness and also meditation. Let me give an example here. So uh, the famous poet Goethe, a famous German poet, he talks about this in his uh, in his work, Dichtung und Wahrheit, which means uh, translation is poetry and truth. But that's one of his great written works. He was on the road to Rosenheim one day, and he was having an affair with a young woman out there. He's walking down the road, and he's lost in his thoughts. You know, kind of like today where we're driving down the road, and we kind of zone out and you know, miss, our, miss our term. Uh, this is actually a type of meditative state, um, getting lost in your thoughts or zoning out like that. And so as he's walking down this road, all of a sudden he notices on the other side, there is this, uh, this man in this gold-trimmed gray suit. He was quite noticeable. And as he turned to get a better look at him, all of a sudden the guy disappeared, just completely vanished. Of course, took uh, uh, kind of astonished Goethe. Of course, he noted that. Um, but the guy disappeared, so he ended up going on his way. A couple years later, he's walking down the same road, but in the opposite direction. Gets to about that point where he'd seen the man and looks down at himself and is like, oh my gosh, I was the man in the gold-trimmed gray suit because there he was wearing it at that moment. Wow. And so, um, yeah, it's absolutely fascinating. If so a lot of people call it a, a doppelganger, uh, even if you, you know, Google, you know, doppelganger stories, you'll find that one. But I don't really think it's a doppelganger, which is, you know, double walker, evil twin sort of thing. And this was actually himself. You know, he had gotten a glimpse of himself at another point in time. And I think what had happened was, um, you know, he, like I said, you know, he was lost in his thought. He was in a meditative state. And I think what happened was uh, when he got to that point in the road, he was in, uh, a meditative state enough where his energy from that moment in that particular day and year uh, basically tuned into himself on that road at another point in time and it just really clicked they tuned into each other was able to see it for a moment and when he decided to focus a little bit more on that moment you know kind of broke the meditative state because like, oh well, there's this other guy here in this suit and it broke that meditative state and he lost it there um but uh, yeah, I, th I think it will have to do more with, you know, really learning how to uh, meditate and tune into these moments better. Yeah, yeah, because I was going to say, I mean, to me, that is an even higher form of of uh, wisdom and understanding. I mean, look, we have these people out there that claim that they are tapped into the Akashic Records. Uh, okay, a version of this in a way, um, or 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 just uh, remote viewers, stuff like this, um, and and then you have people that just you know Nostradamus claims they can see the future, make predictions, stuff like this. But it's interesting to me that I, I don't. I guess it's rare. I do hear stories about this, so I won't completely dismiss it. But this notion of being able to close your eyes and visualize the future and what you want your future to be and then having in a future that is exactly that i mean that's not unfortunately that's just not entirely the human experience now there are some people out there that have this ability and you'll talk to them and they'll say yeah i remember being a little kid i visualized being a rock star i saw what was going to happen this is exactly what i saw but to get every single step 
to know every single moment to move through the stacks of time and see it. it first of all, I don't think you'd want that. And I know there's short stories about this <laughs> uh, that, that talk about like, why that would be a bad idea. But it's curious to me that I, I guess I'm wondering what is why, why certain moments? Is it is there a correlation frequency wise with with these bigger meaningful moments in your life versus you know the the minor steps you need to get there i mean it certainly it, it does explain a lot of the concepts or at least uh, align with the concepts of manifestation and whatnot but yeah I, I i guess um in in your studies what do you what why do you think humans aren't able or, or may never be able to get to um you know having a perfect future photographic memory yeah you know it's it's interesting uh because I, I think a lot of times even though you know we're trying to manifest this that or the other thing i mean there's always self-doubt that that creeps in um i, I you know, there's a difference between wanting something and knowing that you have it before you actually get it um mm. you know, greg braden does a really good job of breaking this down and he gives uh, several different examples of where, um, you know, instead of you know, manifesting by saying, you know, I want this, I want that in my life, the tactic you should be taking is I have this, I have that. Even if you don't actually physically have it at that moment, uh, that you have it and therefore you will get it. Um, yeah. As a, in one of his talks, he has a great example of, uh, you know, he's, he's, uh, I guess it was a dry spell. Uh, they were in a drought, whatever area this was at in the American Southwest. And he went up to some sacred circle with a indigenous tribe member and they, you know, the visit the circle and Craig was expecting this guy to do you know, some great ceremony or whatever. And, um, he was like, well, we're done. Let's go. And, and Greg was like, well, are we going to do something or whatever? He's like, no, we we've, we've been here. Um, you know, and, you know, the, the rain, uh, will come. He's like, well, what do you mean it will come? He's like, well, I, I know it's coming, you know? And he's, he basically said that he, he put out the, uh, intention that basically the rain is here. So therefore, you know, it will come. And I guess it ended up, you know, pouring rain for like days on end, <laughs> some sort of flood happened or whatever. Um, wow. so yeah, so it's a little bit of a, a of a different, it's just very, really subtle. You know, the idea of, you know, I will have this or I have it now. Um, and then therefore you will get it. So, and, um, that, that, oh no, it's sorry. Sorry. I was going to say, I mean, that I, it speaks to another interesting tension in ancient, um, ideas about there is no time live in the present versus, yeah, but we also have this like really complicated understanding of the way time works. Um, so it's, I, I find that kind of, I mean, in general, I think as I explore more and more of these things of going, Oh, it's not that it's one or the other. It's, it's that both exist at the same time that makes this universe so freaky. Um, but yeah, you yeah. know, like I was saying earlier, you know, all, all the information's there. It, it is all there. And it's just, um, matter of being able to access it. Now you'd mentioned, you know, like Akashic records and, and things like that before. And, um, and, and I do mention the Akashic records in the book. I have Emily Harrison from the Akashic Academy uh, come in and, and kind of opine about that. But I precede that talking about uh, the collective unconscious, which was the, the Jungian idea of Carl Jung 
uh, his ideas on basically eternal knowledge. And it's very, very similar to the ideas of the Akashic Records that, you know, all the information of the universe is already existent, everything from the past, present, and from the future. And, and I've always found it interesting over the centuries that all of a sudden you'll find like five or six different guys all, all suddenly trying to invent the same thing, even though they had like no contact with each other. Absolutely, absolutely bizarre, but they were all basically tapping into uh, that that knowledge that is out there. And there's you know, different ways to do that, whether it's through meditation, you might be able to uh, access it while you're sleeping because your your mind enters into different brainwave, uh, brainwave states. Uh, this is where we'll get like glimpses of the future and people have uh, premonitory dreams and, and things like that. Um, but if we take that, you know, the universe is whole, you know, all time is there. And we even look at ideas like, you know, the simulated universe. Okay. Um, if, if it is a simulation, I do believe it is not necessarily computer simulation, but something that's more organic and biological in nature with the technology we don't quite understand. Um, you know, it, but we could use concepts of computing with it, like take a program, um, you know, the, the program that we're using right now to do this broadcast, um, you could take a video game, whatever. Uh, when you enter into that, all the information is there. Now, you might have to, if it's a game, you know, play it linearly, you know, from one level to the next to the next. But all the information of the game is there. And you might be able to find a, a backdoor or a hack or something, or if you're a programmer, then you'd be able to get into uh, any level within that program that you want. And I think that is what's happening here with some of these different time slips when we have premonitory dreams, uh, we have a deja vu moment, you know, we have uh, temporarily had a, a quick little piece of access to one of these other places within the simulation. Yes, yes. And I love you talking about this uh, simulation thing as well uh, a lot because, again, it's the it's the same exact paradox. It's I think that, um, you know, the human project, we we I mean, it reminds me of uh, one of my favorite books ever is uh, the book or the, the Alan Watts's book against the taboo of knowing who you are. Um, and he talks about the idea of they're the, they're the, the kind of free flowing view of the world. The, and then there's the rigid view and, and it's most humans either go to this like hairy fairy kind of, you know, Oh, everything's a, we're all one collective blah, 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 blah. <laughs> or it's all numbers and facts. And he's going, look, it's, it's both. It's both at the same time. Um, and is, I think that yes. is what happens with the simulation often. You know, I think it's kind of cool. It's a cool thing to talk about. And it's funny. I think it's one of those topics that gets as much attention from, uh, you know, people that are going to UFO conferences as people that, you know, might might attend a Neil deGrasse Tyson talk. Um, I it, It's one of those that kind of carries over. It's just one of those mind expanding topics that hits both sides. But I think um, the idea of it being organic and not necessarily just this matrix one type it's a computer program there's a dude that programmed it zeros and ones exactly in this way the idea that it can be a simulation and not that is something i've never thought about before and you have well, background in this don't you <laughs> right yeah yeah i have a degree in simulation programming right um well let's let's put this into a, a little bit of context here okay so you know we 
a lot of people right now believe it's a uh, it's a computer simulation because that is the height of our technology right now. And then, of course, we had you know the pop culture sensation, the Matrix, basically tell us it's a computer simulation. That made a lot of sense to us because that's our culture right now. Um, but let's back up a little bit about 130 years ago. And Nikola Tesla, and he had invented something that he called the the teleautomaton during the Spanish-American War. And basically, it was like the world's first drone, uh, where basically it was a little submarine that could shoot torpedoes uh, controlled by radio waves. And his vision for this that he got laughed out for was that uh, you know these teleautomatons would be able to uh, you know analyze the situation be able to move on its own based on the situation that it analyzed to you know, target a, a ship or what have you and launch a torpedo at the right time. And then he even took it further and said, I even envision a, an automaton of myself that would look like me, act like me, would respond uh, to stimuli just as I would, would be able to make decisions just as I would. He's talking about essentially drones, robotics, and artificial intelligence. Yeah. 130 years ago, right? Now, in his vision of that back then, it was, you know, using gears, uh, wheels, radio waves, that sort of thing. The silicon microchip had not been invented yet. It would not be invented until after he died. So he had the ideas, he had the concept, but he didn't know the real technology behind it that would make those things happen. We have that today, right? Because we we have drones, we have artificial intelligence, we we have things that can that can do everything he talked about. So you know, when it comes to this idea of a simulated universe, yeah, we have the ideas, we have the concepts, but I don't think we fully understand what type of technology that would really take. Yeah. You know what? That is, that's a really, I did not know that about Tesla. Um, I learn more and more each time. That's such an interesting uh, take on that. Uh, you know what? I'm going to ask you a question and, and maybe this, this might get the people mad out there, but, but I want to know because oh. <laughs> I want Well, I, I want to know about Tesla. Tesla is beloved in, in the, uh, you know, fringe or whatever, whatever this alternative community. We love Tesla. Everybody thinks Tesla's free energy um, and all this stuff. Um, and there's that quote he has about seeing the past, present, and future all at the same time. Um, you know, you mentioned frequencies and what the universe, the breakdown, his breakdown, or was that Einstein's or was that Tesla who broke down things? Uh, in the it frequency? was Einstein. That it was, was Einstein. one of Einstein's. Yeah. Well, okay. Well, you're mixing two. So um, Nikola Tesla had the everything coming down to frequency, resonance, vibration. Uh, okay. Einstein had the quote about past, present, future just being an illusion. Got it. Got it. Got it. Okay. Um, oh, some people, there is a quote about Tesla that people claim is basically it's and this is where I'm curious if if because look, I'll sit here. And I will absolutely continue the search in the tradition of, you know, of what you're doing on your show and, and what they're doing on Coast to Coast. I will keep searching people that claim that they hung out with Trump's uncle and he has the paper of the time machine. Like, I, I'll look for that. Uh -huh. But no one's been able to produce anything to me. And I've, I've looked around that suggests that Tesla actually was tinkering with devices to to play with time um 
do you, have you come across anything like that? I mean, is it is it truly just wiped away from the cabinet of papers, or or because he does talk about time, but again, it is more in the way you describe with the automatons and and this theoretical right. sense. So I I don't know if you've if you've dug into that. I don't know if you care to dig into it, but but what is your take on Tesla and and playing with time in this mechanical engineering sense? Yeah, I mean, he was really he was really interested in energy and harnessing uh, basically the the power of the earth and sending signals through the earth and that sort of thing. In which he, you know, he he got a lot of those ideas from the ancients. He, uh, you know, he was a student of ancient Egypt, and I, I think where this, you know, it, it's hard to know because there's what's called the the Tesla cash, and this is like all the information, documents, machines, this sort of thing that these sorts of things that the government seized after he died. Uh, they basically raided his apartment and, and grabbed everything that they could. Uh, so there's a lot of things that uh, could be that yeah. he tinkered with and what have you. But um, from Tesla's youth, uh, he claims to have, to have astro projected you know, back when he was in Serbia. Uh, this was something that his, his culture, the people that uh, his his town, his family, uh, th these were things that they uh, that they did that they tinkered with back then. So, you know, it could be a mixture of those sorts of things that he did in his youth with uh, technology that he was trying to develop as an adult. Uh, it, it's kind of hard to know. Interesting. Now, I appreciate the honest answer. I mean, uh, is there? You know, I mean, I, I, I there is there there are other schools of thought. I mean, I've had people. Do you know the guy Steve Gibbs? Stephen Gibbs. No, I'm not Oh gosh, this guy. I mean, I think he passed away last year. Um, I've I've had uh, Augie Nost was on this show years ago, and he talked about how he used to have this time travel, this little device that uh, was a combination. It used the mind. It was one of those yeah psychotronic devices that mm. if you got your astral projection in gear and you got this electricity in a, in enough space, you could cause interesting things to happen. You could time slip stuff like that. Um, so it, to me, I do believe that there is an interesting fusion of astral projection and, and machines. Um, I don't know if, uh, you know, I know your book is uh, not necessarily like, here's a machine and here's why time travel exists. <laughs> um, but right. is there, let me ask you this. I'm curious from the people in your connected uh, universe group, uh, the connected universe portal, which we will link everybody to, to Mike's links. Uh, you can find it all at MikeRickSecker.com. Um, that'll all be in the show notes. Uh, but um, has anyone come to you and said, hey, I've got a machine. I want you to see it. Or, hey, I can do this time travel thing. I've done it rather consistently. Um, I, I'm curious about your in-person experiences with those who may have claimed they have some mastery of time stack theory or stack time theory, rather. Uh, I haven't had anybody come forth saying I have a time machine and I've been able to use this machine to go back and forth between different between different times. Uh, I have had people uh, on a more, oh, metaphysical level, you know, say that they have, um, you know, contacted other moments in time, whether it was past or future, 
uh, you know, that sort of thing. So, uh, you know, more on kind of like the, the psychic level and what have you. But, uh, yeah, nobody coming forth and saying, that, you know, I've got a machine that's had me zip off to, you know, 2084 or something like that. Yeah. Is uh, that that is super interesting. I I, I mean, even the ability to to uh, travel in consciousness back and forth in that way. I mean, there are hey, look, there are people out there. There there are people out there for all this stuff, and and there are definitely people out there that are teaching others how to time travel astrally. I mean, I don't yeah. know <laughs> if you've dug no, into any you know, of that at all. You can also look at it from uh, the point of you know. Time loss with uh, UFO abductions and things of that nature. You know, that in and of itself is, you know, uh, a little bit of a time travel experience because I think what's happening in those type of cases, if we, you have a uh, extraterrestrial that's traveling interdimensionally, you know, instead of using Newtonian physics to get here, which would take however many potentially thousands of years from wherever, wherever they may be coming from in the universe, um, that they may be traveling you know, using interdimensional means. And if that's the case, something that's like, you know, fifth dimension or above uh, our own would be able to see time as, as a physical representation. And so if you know, they took somebody from here and took them on into their own dimension for a while, well, time's going to work very, very differently in that case. So you hear, you know, you'll take Travis Walton where he thought he was gone for like a couple hours and ended up being gone for, you know, five days. Um, you know, is, is that what is happening there? And, you know, if so, that would be a, a type of time travel experience, which actually would be using a machine if they were, you know, if he was really brought up onto a, a UFO. Yeah. Yeah, well, the, the the other thing that I think is interesting here, and I um, I I wonder about your take on places on Earth that people claim are portals or or the ley lines theory. This idea, mm -hmm. I mean, I had a whole guy come on the show talking about his time in the military with time machine, all this stuff, and his entire thing was, yeah, the only way these machines work is if you find the right areas. They're ley lines. You actually have to get to these areas of high electromagnetic charge. I mean, look, I, I know that, again, it's kind of one of those buzzwords, ele electromagnetic energy can do everything in the world of the supernatural, <laughs> the paranormal. But w what is your take on that? Are there, when it comes to time slips, um, I know there there are a lot of stories about people going to areas. I mean, there is that, uh, what is it? There's like the somewhere in London uh, under the tube where people tend to slip and see uh, people in uniform, soldiers, stuff like that. And I'm going, okay, right. is it is it the area? Is it them? Um, you know, how does stack time theory account for maybe those location-specific uh, instances? Yeah, so the location-specific um... – and it doesn't necessarily have to do with, with time or stack time theory. Um, and, you know, a person, you know, a human resonance is anywhere between, you know, 9 to 16 hertz. Everybody's a little bit different. So, you know, you do have to take into uh, account the individual person themselves. Uh, but you do have these you know, energetic locations on Earth. Ley lines kind of a... Uh, I kind of joke around. It's kind of a layman's term for what's actually going on here. Because the, the lay right. is really just the lining up of all of these different, uh, what we would call sites of 
power, you know, whether it's, you know, Stonehenge, different temples, different, you know, uh, you know, cathedrals, things like that. Um, you know, all these ancient sites that seem to like line up in a perfect line. It's, a, you know, geographic lining up with these different sites. Uh, what's the important part of all that is, is the telluric currents that are under the earth, which is the uh, electromagnetic current that is, that is natural to our planet. So the, you know, earth's core is a molten spinning ball of iron. And that creates an electromagnetic field, which extends out from the planet. And that protects us from the solar wind. Otherwise we'd all get fried and you know, we wouldn't even be alive. Um, so this is a good thing. Uh, however, as it passes through the earth's mantle and crust, it interacts with different metals, minerals, pockets of water, these sorts of things. And depending on what it runs into along the way up, it does create different electromagnetic fields that are actually very measurable. Um, you know, my work with uh, the Alaska Triangle, my book, Alaska's Mysterious Triangle, um, I came across a very, very interesting survey done by the U.S. Department of the Interior in 1965, in which they did an electromagnetic survey. Um, and you can find these electromagnetic surveys through, you know, the various decades and different locations and all that. But um, this particular example, um, you know, they covered 100,000 square miles of Alaska. Alaska's huge. It's over 600,000 square miles. But they did 100,000 square miles, which is, you know, pretty admirable. Um, and they, uh, classified the different areas. Uh, they called them five, uh, five different magnetic characters. And within these magnetic characters, they also distinguish some negative anomalies. So, um, so yeah, they're, they're very aware of these different, uh, pockets of electromagnetism in the area. And then you also have to take into, uh, consideration other, uh, factors like uh, seismic activity that that expels a specific energy. Uh, volcanic activity also expels a certain amount of energy. And then you know, we we're talking about the uh, you know protection by the Earth's magnetism. Well, it's a little bit thinner on the in the pole areas. Uh, so as those uh, you know solar flares and what have you smack against the Earth, that's why the auroras are so vivid on the pole areas. Um, and so, of course, this leads to the whole idea of uh, the Alaska Triangle. What's what's charging that area? Is you have you know, all these different energies that are that are interacting with each other. So, um, so yeah, there is something to be said for uh, you know different energetic areas of the Earth. And going back to Tesla, this is something that he was interested in harnessing and utilizing to send energy across the planet. So uh, it's it's definitely something that exists. Yeah. Huh. Oh, man, this definitely makes me, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm putting on the conspiracy brain here. I'm going, okay, this makes it, this is why all these people are out there looking at these sites, protecting these areas. They're doing research. It must be, they, I mean, I don't know. I mean, they, they, again, it's, it's, we'll never know. It's all so compartmentalized, but there must be something to, people uh you know starting to the fact that a u.s base will be set up around an area that's high electromagnetic frequency and we don't quite know what's going on there uh i don't know is that too well, conspiratorial that's why i believe thing? harp was built in alaska right exactly <laughs> exactly exactly <laughs> yeah um and i don't know what's going on in montauk i mean you ever explore that at all that at all or 
Uh, a little bit. I mean, they didn't play really into uh, this particular work, but um, but yeah, I, I, you know, back in the day, I looked into that a little bit. Sure. Yeah, it's uh, that, that, that's that gets a little. I mean, that gets bizarre in so many different ways. Um, but uh, hey, look. I mean, let me ask you this: D- Does the Philadelphia experiment make sense in light of uh, this theory? Oh uh, yeah, I mean, I have been getting asked that a lot ever since this book came out, and um, yeah, <laughs> I'm so because, sorry. Because yeah, no, it's fine. Uh, because so many of the stories are, are anecdotal, and there's really, you know, trying to find proof on on it is very very elusive. Um, I didn't really go there, but you know, it's something that if if that really happened, if that really occurred, would this play into that? Absolutely, sure. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, even, you know, uh, the idea of the way sound is connected to time is is something that you mentioned earlier about frequencies and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I mean, again, it might just be a uh, – uh, it might not be real, but even the story of the so-called chronovisor <laughs> in the Vatican was supposedly because of Gregorian chanting and they were playing with electromagnetic energy and then they heard the sound first. I mean, it's even if that story is made up, it's interesting that hearing – old Gregorian chants was the way to get to time travel, hearing an old sound. I mean, in, in general of, of these accounts, do you, because you mentioned a lot of seeing entities, but, sure. but is there, uh, you know, we all know that there are radio waves out there. We know that the broadcasts from all of time are playing out there. I mean, uh, would you say that there's a lot of audio, auditory incidents as well, more or less? I mean, how, do, how does that uh, fit into this? Yeah, it, I mean, it's another type of waveform. So, uh, you know, you just need a, a receiver to be able to hear it properly. Um, and so, yeah, those those waves are, are out there for us to hear as well. And, um, yeah, like when it, comes to, when it comes to sound, okay, again, it, it's another type of wave. It's a type of vibration. That's what everything comes down to. Um, you know, how is it vibrating? And um, this most recent season of uh, Secrets of Skinwalker Ranch, it, it, you know, with all the things I've been doing with, you know, all the gadgets and technology and shooting rockets up into this thing and all that stuff. Uh, the, the incident that I really liked, the test that they did that I thought was really, really interesting was um, they got a uh, tribe of uh, indigenous drummers and they're, they're sitting around in a drum circle and they're, you know, doing their thing. They're doing their drumming, which of course creates a certain, uh, you know, sound wave. You get uh, the, the, you know, the vibration going from the drumming, all of that. And right up there on top of the mesa, they have, you know, they're different uh, devices to scan the area. One of them was the, you know, just the flare camera, you know, it's, you know, looking for, for hot and cold spots, that sort of thing. And um, all of a sudden at the top of the mesa where there is a stone circle, that area, the stone circle, basically uh, a heat signature starts to arise from it which makes, you know, complete sense because here you have this, you know, uh, this vibration from the drumming that is uh, activating the uh, the circle that's up there. The, these circles were constructed in such a way to be able to uh, utilize a variety of different uh, waves and energies and sound is one of them. Um, I was out in Ireland a little over a year ago and I was standing in the middle of Drombeg Stone Circle. And it's a smaller circle. 
some of the stones are missing and, and that sort of thing. But just standing directly in the middle, if you just try to talk, it's almost like you're in a, a little bubble. It's, it's really fascinating. Um, you can actually audibly hear that there's something unusual about this area. Um, and basically it has to do with the fact that, you know, my voice is resonating off of the stones that are there. You know, it's, it's a, it's a sound phenomena. Now, just that little bit, just me talking regular and be, being able to experience that. Okay. Now imagine, you know, this structure a couple thousand years ago when it was first created and the, you know, the stones are in their full glory. They're not weathered down. You know, all of them were there. There's only 13 stones there now. They believe there were 17 before. Um, I could not imagine what that would have sounded like, what that would have been like, and how that would have felt, you know, to stand in the middle of that and be doing that chanting, uh, you know, right in the middle of there. I mean, that, that would be absolutely amazing. Um, you know, just, so just based on that, so yeah, yeah, they were definitely using sound for a variety of different purposes, whether, you know, it could have been for healing purposes, certainly ceremonial. There's a ceremony that they were doing there, obviously, um, to enter into altered states of consciousness. Uh, rather than using like a hallucinatory drug, you could certainly use sound vibration to do that. And then we could take it to the next level. You know, were they using that to enter into some sort of portal to go somewhere? Yes, let's hope they are. I I hope I <laughs> I I really uh I mean it seem it seems like uh you know a lot of people a lot of people point in that direction. Um and by the way, everybody, I mean, look, this is a very well-reviewed book here. Um check out Travels Through Time Inside the Fourth Dimension, Time Travel and Stacked Time Theory by Mike Rick Secker. I mean, this is where you get all this stuff. A uh, oh, and even you know what? I I'm happy that it's a, it's 320 page or 322 pages in print. I mean, come on, who's writing this much these days? Most most people that come on, they write their like 80 page thesis. I mean, you you put the well, you, you put you put a lot into this, which I appreciate. Um, <laughs> my question for you is, what do you think? have been some of the biggest takeaways. I mean, I imagine that there are a lot of people who have read various books on time over the years. There's Stephen Hawking fans and Brian Greene and all these physicists and then, you know, the alternative theorists and whatnot. Um, have you been hearing a lot about, is, is there anything in particular that you keep hearing from people that have read the book that you're going like, wow, I didn't even realize people were gonna enjoy this piece of it this much. I mean, what are, what are, what are some of the big takeaways? Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, there's a lot of philosophy in the book, and you know, people have really appreciated that. They really appreciate the pop culture references. Um, they they like the mix. Is what it is. You know, there's there's a lot of science in it without being too sciency. There's a lot of metaphysics in it without being too metaphysical. And then, you know, you have a variety of anecdotal stories and pop culture references that kind of really bring it together and you know make it in, in a lot of areas a, a fun read. So um, so yeah, it's. Um, it's been a good mix, I think, is what it is. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad it's going so well for you. Um, and, yeah, we're, we're definitely going to link to that. Before we go, I need to know, what is going on with this Mandela effect? 
I mean, <laughs> is it just misremembering? Is it? That's what everybody says, I know. But I, I guess I'm wondering, you know, why, even if this stacked time theory holds up, why is it that you can slip into another reality where, you know, the tail is suddenly missing from Curious George? I mean, why, why, why is that a priority <laughs> in this universe? Yeah. Do you have any clarity on that? Right. Yeah. I mean, I, I think a lot of them are. Uh, you're misremembering something. Um, some of them, maybe not. And I do include a, um, rather extensive story on, uh, the Mandela effect in my life. And it's not anything that you would find if you were to Google top 50, uh, cases of the Mandela effect, you would not find it on, on any of those lists. Um, so, I mean, here's what it is, is, you know, some of these cases that we are, you know, calling the Mandela effect are, uh, the result of some sort of meddling that's happened back in time. Now, nobody's going back in time to change the spelling of Oscar Mayer, Fruit Loops, or anything like that. I mean, that's so trivial. You know, nobody's doing that. Um, but some of these cases of what, you know, may be a legitimate uh, Mandela effect, um, you know, somebody has, you know, gone back in time. There's been some, time, some sort of time travel incident, and something's changed along the way that over the course of time resulted in you know this little change over here and that little change over there essentially the butterfly effect you know um and so some people are remembering that previous version of our reality um and then you know you get some of these paradoxically paradoxical events as well um that just you kind of leave you scratching your head and you know how in the world is that possible um, and, and that's the result of some of these time travel incidents. But yeah, nobody's going back purposefully to change branding. Yeah, that's just <laughs> that's just too trivial. Yeah. Well, look, I mean, you've got you've got so much out there. Obviously, I think people should uh, pick up this book, um, as well as you know, you've got oh my gosh, I mean, uh, you, you can learn a lot at MikeRickSecker.com, um, as well as uh, you, you've got the Connected Universe Portal.com. Uh, you mentioned before we started, you're doing a th there's a new presentation coming out soon. What 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 can we expect? Back yeah. from you in the future yeah so um a number of different things but uh you know the end of this month and I, by the time this uh podcast is released i'll have the official dates times all that released but uh, basically i'm doing a special presentation of travels through time so um you know i've, I've had a couple of speaking engagements here uh, over the last few weeks and uh one was up in michigan sault st marie that was Michigan Paracon. I had a Phenomicon out in Vernal, Utah, but not everybody's able to get out to those. So um, I'm going to do a special presentation of my uh, travels through time uh, on a special, we're going to do like a special webinar for that. And so that'll be uh, the end of September here. I also have a Connecting the Universe event, which is a four-part presentation. I'm doing that at uh, the Oliver House on December 2nd. Uh, that's in Middleborough, Massachusetts. Um, I have a Phoenix MUFON presentation I'm doing December 9th. And then Conscious Life Expo in Los Angeles. That is February 9th through the 11th. 
Wow, that that is super cool. I I, I definitely uh, hope to get to one of those at least. Um, yeah, I'm now wondering what happens when they put you on a panel with, you know, Marshall Barnes and and Andy Bashago, the time travel from Project Pegasus and Montauk people. I mean, do you even do you do that panel? Um, <laughs> have you been asked to? I mean, what, what happened? Are they looping you in? Are they pegging you as the time travel guy? I mean, what what's happening for you? Yeah, I haven't been on panels like that yet. That, that would be interesting for sure. Um, yeah, we'll, we'll see how that might pan out in the future here. Those would be some interesting conversations. Yeah, I'd love. Maybe I'll facilitate that one day. I don't know. I, I would love to do it. <laughs> <There you laughs> yes. But no, this so interesting. We didn't even talk about all the other paranormal stuff in your life. So maybe in the future we could, because uh, I, I definitely want to get into the shadow people more. I, 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 sure. I'm fascinated by that. I know you have a book on that as well, which uh, you can find everything at the links in the show notes. Uh, or if you see the name of this guy, just put the first and last name together, MikeRicksecker.com, and it's all there. Uh, Mike, thank you for doing the research. Thank you for, for giving so much of your, uh, your time, your energy, and, and your knowledge. This is, uh, you definitely opened up a lot of portals in my head, which is, again, all I ever ask for. Um, yeah, this has been a very interesting conversation. I, I appreciate you coming on. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks so much for having me, Greg. Uh, this was definitely a, a great conversation, and I really enjoyed chatting with you. Likewise. Mike Ricksacker. Thanks so much for coming on. And did you enjoy that podcast? Did you appreciate that I did everything humanly possible? to avoid making a reference to a flux capacitor or Michael J. Fox. And instead, I landed on titling to something about timeshares and calling out Indiana Jones 5. I'll do better next time. I want to thank Ronnie McGilvery for the theme music. I want to thank Zero Boy for the pre-theme music. If you enjoy this podcast, make sure to follow it and rate the show and leave a review. Any of your words help. I thank you so much. Talk soon.